Hello everyone, welcome back to the Firearms Cafe. I'm your host, Tony Brown. Today's date is November 30th, 2008. second-class citizens? And the answer is, we are, you and I, the average American. So if we say that, then who is a first-class citizen? And by that, what do I mean by class? So let's kind of define that for the purpose of this show. And for what we're talking about, class will mean any person or group of persons who's treated better or uh, who does not have to go through the same procedures, and uh, certain restrictions don't apply based on who or what they are, or sometimes we can say even where they are. And this is and will be pertaining to uh, the possession of a firearm or the ability to carry that firearm concealed. The forums are a great place to interact with the podcasters and other listeners to your favorite podcast. Visit GunRightsRadio.com and click on the forums button at the bottom of the page and sign up for your free membership. GunRightsRadio.com And we are back. Again, let's ask, who's a first-class citizen of the United States of America today? Uh, is it the rich? Uh, is it the famous? Is it government officials? Uh, is it law enforcement? Basically, uh, by law enforcement, any armed government agency, uh, Secret Service, FBI, uh, BATFE, uh, local law enforcement like police and sheriffs, uh, so the, the state police, uh, U.S. Marshals, things of that, Forest uh, Service people, if they can carry a weapon. And the answer to that is, all of those that I just mentioned would be considered first-class citizens. We also need to ask that if you reside in a certain state, are you treated better than someone in a different state? And remember, we're not talking about someone living in a different country, but a citizen of the United States. 
And I think we all know the answer to that. Let's take a look at the first group that I mentioned, uh, sort of the rich and the famous. Using New York as an example and a famous person like a Howard Stern. Now, whether you like or dislike him and his style of comedy doesn't, doesn't matter. Uh, now, I don't think he's an anti-gun guy in general, but I don't think he is a card-carrying member of the NRA either. Uh, it had been reported that Howard Stern has a concealed carry permit. Now, I know it may not be called that in New York, uh, but suffice it to say that he has the ability to carry a firearm concealed, so whether it's CCW or concealed carry pistol or however they phrase it. So when looking at him, I don't think that he had to jump through lots of hoops to get that permit. For him, it was probably a matter of uh, making a couple of phone calls to the right people, and it was done. Now, I, I would think that he still had to follow the rules of getting that permit, uh, but I would also be willing to bet that his process was streamlined and that he didn't have to wait 6 to 11 months to get the permit because he knows many influential political types in the state. So in looking at somebody like him or like a Donald Trump or somebody like a uh, Oprah or Rosie O'Donnell, uh, basically any other big celebrity, they're going to be treated differently than you or I would in that same situation. Now, I imagine that if any one of these people wanted a permit and they ran into trouble uh, getting that permit, or, uh, for that matter, just even a type of a firearm that they wanted, all they would need to do is call up that senator or mayor that they know and say, you know, hey, I'm having some trouble with this. Can you help me out? And you know, that senator or mayor is going to say, well, you've always supported me, you know, out in the public forum. Uh, you know what, guys, it'll, it'll be taken care of by tomorrow. Uh, so uh, the big question is, with that situation is, do you believe that if you or I called our elected official that we would be treated so well? Oh, yeah, they're always trying to screw you. So the second group I mentioned was government officials. If you're a senator, a congressman, governor, legislator, mayor, city councilman, or alderman, and the list goes on, things are going to be different for you. If you want a certain firearm or the ability to carry concealed, it's not going to be a big deal to make that happen. Even if the state in which you're from does not allow those firearms or does not allow its citizens to carry concealed. Now, these people are going to have what they want, when they want it, and most importantly, where they want it. So think about that. A person from Chicago, a senator, an alderman, who wants to carry concealed for his own protection and who wants to carry a handgun, he's going to be able to do that. A while back, Sean over at the Militant Marksman podcast had done a show in which he talked about an alderman by the name of uh, Richard Mell, and he had failed to register his firearms in the time allotted. Well, since he was a buddy of Mayor Daly of Chicago, guess what? He got a pass. You know, it was just understood that the alderman, hey, you know, he'd just forgotten or he had run out of time, but he had every intention of registering those firearms. So he got the extension. 
Now, do you think the lady that works at Sears or the guy that drives a UPS truck, do you think those people would get the same break? And the answer to that question is no, they wouldn't. And not only would they be told no, but it would be absolutely, positively no. And you'd be told, look, we have a system in place, and if you can't follow it, if you can't uh, get it together enough to do that simple thing, well, then I guess, you know, no firearms for you. Next in line, please. Um, now, I'll put a link uh, to an article about that, about that uh, Alderman Richard Mell in uh, the show notes section over at firearmscafe.com. Let's take a look at the third group that I mentioned earlier, and that is any governmental law enforcement agency. Now, as an aside, I'm very pro-law enforcement. They have a hard job, to say the least. However, that doesn't mean that they should have more rights than you and I do. I believe that any firearm that the police can have, we as law-abiding citizens, and let me say that part again, we as law-abiding citizens should be able to possess. Also, anywhere a police officer, whether he's on duty or off duty, is able to carry, we as citizens should be able to do so as well. Now, I would not be opposed if the requirement to do so was that you had to have a concealed carry permit and it had to be in good standing. And I know some are out there that wouldn't agree with that. Uh, and they think that we should have the right to carry no matter what and we don't need a permit. But the reality is there are going to be uh, rules and there are going to be hoops that we're always going to have to jump through. So in doing it, in looking at having it where if we had a concealed carry weapon permit in good standing, uh, you know, that's one way because you can say we've been through background checks, we've been fingerprinted, we don't have any felonies. Again, we are law-abiding citizens and, and we are in good standing. But, you know, as we know... Um, it's not that way. And the thing that got me thinking about this, the main thing uh, that I'm thinking about is the Law Enforcement Officer Safety Act of 2004, uh, or it's also called H.R. 218, so 218. And this was signed into law on July 22nd of 2004 by President George Bush. Uh, and basically... What it said was that if you are law enforcement or retired law enforcement, and I'm kind of paraphrasing this here a little bit, that uh, you could carry, um, if you went through their certification, you could carry, let's say, into California. You could carry concealed, and the, and the restrictions of that state wouldn't apply to you. Uh, so again, you know, I have lots of respect for the men and women in law enforcement and for the service that they provide. But I don't think that they should be given more rights to defend themselves and their families than you and I. Uh, especially, you know, when they're off duty and they're not in uniform. You're right. We're getting screwed. Now, we last left off with certain people being able to defend themselves and their families. So it's not a, a stretch of the imagination to say that, that I, as someone who lives in Arizona would be considered by someone who lives in Hawaii or Illinois or Massachusetts as a first-class citizen. And that somebody who lived in Vermont or Alaska 
would see me and the people who live in Hawaii or Illinois or Massachusetts as second-class citizens because we as residents of different states have more restrictions than they do. So what really, really bothers me is that in our united country that we have such a disparity of rights from state to state. When I listen to all the restrictions and asinine rules and regulations that other states have, as well as some of the ones that, uh, that my state has, it's very, very frustrating. And, you know, I understand that what works in Montana may not work in New Jersey when it comes to freeway speed or whether you can operate a business out of your home. What I cannot understand is why that in Arizona, my state government seems to recognize, at least for now, that I have the right to defend my life and that of my family, while someone in, in Chicago, Illinois, does not have that right recognized by their state and local government. Now, I know I'm, I'm preaching to the choir here a little bit, but what we need is a national concealed carry law. And if that means that I would have to jump through some hoops to do it, I would. Uh, and again, why as law-abiding citizens of a free country, we should be treated any different than uh, a law enforcement, than retired law enforcement or current law enforcement is, is beyond me. Because what it boils down to in the end is that by having the governmental or law, local law enforcement people treated differently than you or I, what that says is that the federal government and most local governments don't feel that the average citizen's life is worth much. So if we, if we believe that, or if you think, well, that, that sounds kind of right, you can also say that the way that you can tell whose life is valued by the government is by who gets to possess and carry a firearm. Now, lots of us like to say things like, the government does this and the government does that. But the reality is, when looking at a lot of these restrictions, that we need to take back control of our government, and not just the federal government, but where it really matters, and that's in the local elections and local offices. Because the reality is that those local politicians, they become the governors and the congressmen and the senators. Now, if the, if the pool that we have to choose from for those positions, the governors, congressmen, and senators, is mostly pro-Second Amendment people, regardless of party, things like uh, H.R. 1022 would be crushed because the majority of politicians in office would be against something like that anyway. But they would also know that they'll be out of a job if they go against the Second Amendment, which is, as we know, really going against the ability of the citizenry, so of against you and I, to maintain the right of self-defense. Not only do we need to contact our local and state reps, but our federal representatives as well. Now, if you're a registered Republican 
and you have a official who's a Democrat who's in office, contact that person and let them know that you're active politically and that you look at each candidate's voting records and that's how you decide who you're going to support and that you have crossed party lines in the past and you will vote for them on their next re-election bid if they are consistent supporters of the Second Amendment through their voting. Uh, and it's important to phrase it in a concise and a polite manner. Um, you don't want to contact them every day, but when, they're, when, uh, when there's a bill being brought up that deals with Second Amendment issues, that's when you need to call or email or write them. And if you're consistent with that, you will make an impression. Now, if, if I'm the only one contacting that elected official, it's, it's not going to have much of an impact. But if 3,000 of us did each time a Second Amendment issue came up, then it will make a difference. Now, imagine, in addition to that 3,000 of us that would contact that elected official, that another 1,000 people who were again, either registered Democrats or Republicans, and who we've reached out to uh, by taking them shooting and introducing the right of, of self-defense and defense of family, if we can get those people to write into their congressmen or senators and say, I've been a lifelong Democrat and I've recently become a gun owner and a supporter of the Second Amendment. That's when we'll really see a difference. Um, because look at how close many of the recent races were, uh, especially with the way our, our federal government is shaping up. These people that are running need to understand that you know, they do represent us, that once they get into office, they, they can't just do whatever they're going to want to do, that they're going to have to follow up on the platforms that they ran on. So if they're saying they're pro-Second Amendment, they understand that once they get in the office, if they go against that, that they're going to be out of a job, that we'll vote them out come the next election. So we need to, as a group, be more vocal and more of a presence on the political scene than our opposition. And quite frankly, our opposition has done a much better job of that, partially because they've got the media behind them. Uh, so with that, not only do we need to be more vocal, more of a presence, but we must, must, must be a member of the NRA. If we, well, here, let me, let me put it this way. Now, we all know that recently because of um, the election results, people are panic buying. They're out there buying everything they can from the firearms themselves to ammo to reloading equipment. People who have never owned a gun are out there buying up things. Now ask yourself this. How many of those people who are panic buying are members of the NRA? I guarantee you it's not many. Now these are the people who will spend hundreds of dollars on a firearm and ammunition and extra mags 
but they'll balk at spending $25 for a membership that would do much more for them than the thousands of rounds of 223 that they just bought. If each person who is panic buying was also a member of the NRA, we'd have probably 15 to 20 million members. And with those type of numbers, if we actually had that 15 to 20 million members in the NRA, no politician would dare to offer up a gun ban because the numbers would be against them. Let me, let me illustrate a little bit about what I was talking, that I'm talking about. I'll tell you a story of what happened to me the other day. Uh, I went into a, a sportsman warehouse, which is, if you guys are not familiar with that, it's basically like a Cabela's or a Bass Pro Shop. Um, and the shelves, as far as uh, firearms and firearm-related items, were pretty much bare. So there was almost no ammo, hardly any guns, and there were lots of people asking for both of those things. Up on the board, I didn't see one Glock for sale. They were all gone. So I, I took the opportunity to talk to some of these people that I saw. And I think I talked to probably, oh, maybe in total, about 10 people. Um, and some of those were couples. A couple of them were, were a group of you know three or four guys. Um, but I, after I would get to talking with them for a little bit, I would ask if they were NRA members. And I think out of about maybe those 10 people that I spoke with, I think about four said no. Um, and so to the ones that had said no, uh, I had said, well, you know, I'm a member and it's only 25 bucks per year. And I said that, you know, I think it would help you be able to keep your firearms if you were a member of the NRA. And I said, you know, I hope that you'd join because uh, it was basically the same price of a box of ammo that you really couldn't get right now. And I think out of those uh, four people, three said that they would join, and the, the three that said that they were definitely going to do it were young guys, and they were that was part of that group that, I, that they were all together. Um, and they were probably in their t- mid-20s. And then there was another guy that I spoke to, uh, who, the one who said he wasn't, and he was around 50, and he said he'd give it serious thought. And he was actually, uh, the reason I started talking with him was because he was actually filling out you know, the paperwork to buy a firearm. I recognized the form that he was filling out. Uh, you know, so if you're in the store and you see somebody who's buying a shotgun shell, buying a shot, excuse me, buying a shotgun or buying shells or... Someone's just looking at the guns over the counter, um, and if you're if you're out there now, there may not be too much to look at. Don't assume that they're NRA members. You know, maybe talk to them, uh, ask them to join, give them something to think about. Because that, realistically and ultimately, will be how we secure the Second Amendment. Uh, it it won't be with us running out there stockpiling ammo and firearms. It will be basically with us stockpiling votes. And the more members we have, the more votes, the more power that we have. Uh, And the more that the politicians will sit up and, and pay attention to us. 
All right. Uh, in the next segment, I am going to review a uh, book that I got uh, that was written by Masad Ayub. Welcome back. I recently received uh, Masada Ayub's latest book, and that's the Gun Digest book of Concealed Carry. Uh, most of you guys know who Masada Ayub is. If you don't, uh, just briefly, he's one of the foremost authorities on self-defense and the use of lethal force in our country today. Um, he's often brought in on self-defense cases as a witness if they go to trial. And a lot of the things that the prosecutors have brought up against the armed citizen, he's able to uh, refute and, and assist in keeping somebody who was exercising their Second Amendment right and defending themselves from being railroaded through the courts and being sentenced unjustly to uh, prison time. So if you want to know also a little bit more about him, you can just do a, a Google search and you'll get lots of info. Uh, you'll also get information on some of the other titles to the, his other books that he's written. Now from my perspective, as someone who's relatively new to Concealed Carry, I found this book to be full of very, very useful things. And there was a lot of things that I had not thought of. And he covers just about everything from how to dress and how to conceal uh, to how to start the selection process uh, for your holster or for a firearm. And what I really liked uh, was his discussion of defensive loads. So basically what type of ammo to use um, and why. I also like the fact that he covered a little bit about open carry as well. So who is this book for? Who did he write this book? And who for? And, and who would get the most from this book? And I would say that uh, that person is someone who's willing to accept that they don't know everything about concealed carry and that they can learn something useful, whether they are just thinking about maybe getting their permit and starting to carry or have just gotten their concealed carry permit, or if they've been uh, carrying concealed for quite some time. Uh, the book itself is what I'd call a uh, small coffee table-sized book. It's uh, 253 pages. It's easy to read, and more importantly, it's easy to comprehend. Uh, you don't need to be deep into the shooting world or into... Uh, gun culture to understand the points that are made. Um, so what did I learn from the book? And the, the thing that I learned, or the main thing, is that there is, there's no one true way to carry concealed. There is no one answer. Uh, 
you have to try some of the techniques in the book and find out which is best for you. Um, my uh, family and I watched a movie the other day called Kung Fu Panda. And uh, in that movie, one of the lessons that they taught, uh, spoiler coming up, is that there is no secret ingredient. Um, so there is no one thing that is going to make it perfect for you. Um, what I learned in, in reading the book, too, is that when you're, when you're carrying concealed, it's, there's a lot of compromise. Um, so that if you have a, a holster that's deep concealed, well, it may be hard to get to. It may be hard to draw to. If you have one that's very easy to draw from, well, it may be a lot harder to conceal. If you have one that has great retention, then it may be tough to clear the weapon if you need to do it quickly. If you have one that you can clear real quick, well, it may not have that retention you want to where if you were running or got knocked to the ground. So, again, one of the things I learned is basically there is no one thing that will work uh, for everybody. Uh, but, uh, again, looking at the book, there are, are numerous photos and just about every subject on concealed carry is covered. And I would say that if you if you know someone who does carry concealed or they're thinking about it, uh, about getting their permit and, and wanting to have, and they have some questions about what does it mean to carry concealed, that this would be one of the best uh, gifts that you could give them. Uh, and the book is available through Amazon.com. You can go on there and... Uh, just type in, uh, again, you could probably even type in just Masada Yub, or you can type in just Concealed Carry, uh, the Gun Digest book of Concealed Carry, and it'll pop right up and you'll be able to give it. So, in conclusion, um, if we don't want to be second-class citizens in this country, the way that we change that isn't to go out and buy up and stockpile tons of guns and ammo. The way that we do that like I said before, is we put people into office who are going to support the Second Amendment and who will go to bat for us. And we put people in there that respect the fact that you and I, as average citizens, we have the right to defend ourselves and to defend our families just as much as as the elected officials do. All right, guys. Well, that's about it. I'm going to go ahead and uh, wrap it up. I hope you guys have enjoyed the show. Hopefully, I'll be able to get on track a little bit better. I always try and put a show out about every couple of weeks, but it never seems to work out that way. Life kind of gets in the way a little bit. If you would like to contact me, uh, you can go ahead and do so at Firearms Cafe. Uh, dot com. You can go to the website or you can uh, shoot me an email at uh, firearmscafe at gmail.com and probably that would be the easiest way to do it. Um, or if you'd like, you can go over to the forums and you can, uh, uh, under the Firearms Cafe section, you can leave me some feedback under, uh, under episode discussion or a general topic, whichever you want. Um, Another thing about uh, the Gmail address, firearmscafe at gmail.com, 
Um, you can either just send me the email or if you want to send a, a mp3 an audio file you can do that if you have some questions about how to do that uh, again you can email me and I can tell you how to do it it's relatively simple to do um, but uh, again I also wanted to uh, take the opportunity to tell you guys to go over to uh, Gun Rights Radio Network and check out some of the other podcasts um, We've got tons of good shows. There's a new uh, a new group that's just joined us called the Gun Dudes, and I've been getting caught up with those guys. I really enjoy their show. Um, they've got they bring a lot of humor, but also a lot of common sense. Uh, and you know, I understand what they're doing with their show. And uh, uh, like I said, I think if you give those guys a try, if you're not listening to them already, go ahead and give them a, a try, and you'll like them. And, of course, we also have several other uh, really good podcasts. I'll go ahead and just name them off really quick. We've got Armed Citizen uh, with Mick McCart. We've got Gun Rights Advocate with Mark Vandenberg. Uh, Handgun Podcast with Eric Shelton. Militant Marksman with Sean Horton. Personal Protection with uh, Carrie Woodings. And we've got uh, The Shot Show with Doc Wesson. Pro Arms Podcast, that's produced by Gail Pepin. Uh, and also, uh, as an aside, Masada Ayub is actually on that podcast as well. There's The Urban Shooter with Ken Blanchard. And uh, I think that's it. I don't think I'm leaving anybody out. Um, the only other couple that we have, we do have the uh, Gun Rights, uh, or not Gun Rights, excuse me, the Gun Review Podcast. And what that is, is if you're... If one of you guys out there, one of the listeners, wants to submit a review on a uh, particular firearm that you have, you can go ahead and do that. You can submit that. Um, you can go over to uh, gunrightsradio.com, and you can click on, um, over in the right-hand corner, the Gun Review Podcast, and that'll take you to a link on uh, some guidelines on how the review should go. Um there's also the um, Gun Rights Radio Network, which what that is, is it's a roundtable when, when the, uh, the hosts of the different shows can get together and uh, we talk about some of the issues that are uh, going on currently as uh, pertains to Second Amendment. Um, other than that, I think that's about it. Um, I think I said I'll go ahead and wrap it up. Um, well, as always, stay safe. I'll see you next time, and we'll save a seat for you at our table here at the Firearms Cafe. All music provided from Podsafe Audio. Please check Podsafe Audio for all your podcasting music needs. This show is part of the Gun Rights Radio Network. Podcasting freedom. GunRightsRadio.com.